you know who you sound like? David Crowder. Y'all don't even know who I'm talking about, but he's, he's pretty good. He has a nice beard. Let's just say that. Nick, I love you. I'm glad you're back, you and your barefooted self, because you're standing on holy ground. Welcome in the name of Jesus, people. Oh, wow. Y'all need some, y'all need some food. Listen, here's the deal. I know I say this over and over and over, but there's a reason why I want to say this. My goal is that every day when you wake up and you wipe that boo-boo out your eye, yeah, get spiritual, is that you will preach the gospel to yourself. Now, what do I mean by that? Why is it so important? Why is it that I have to every day preach the gospel to myself? It is, it is like Nick said, so that we'll, when, when things don't look, when we see in, in, in a natural, that we will trust the promises of the spiritual. So we preach the gospel. What do I mean the gospel? That word is thrown around. I've said it to you. Uh, you. Many of you in this room are saved and born again, so you have accepted. So most people think the gospel is nothing more than this salvation message, and I get saved and I live. The God, if the gospel was just for salvation, why wouldn't God kill us? Think about it. If it's just for salvation, why wouldn't God kill me and take me on to heaven? Because see, the gospel is more than eternal life. The gospel, that's a little bit of it, but we focus, and most churches, you just focus on, we say, whoa, we had a thousand salvations. That is great. And then in five years, the FBI can't even find them. Because when the gospel is real, when the word of God is living and active, then something changes inside of us. And so every morning is my prayer that whether you're on your knees or whether you're standing up or whether you're in the shower or whether you're driving in the car, I don't care what you're doing, that you preach the gospel. And the gospel is this, is that in Matthew 5, 48, God declared, and I'll use King James, NIVs up here, be ye perfect as your heavenly Father is what, saints? There's a demand, John Piper talks about, there is a demand that we cannot meet. There's a perfection, there's a righteousness that we cannot meet. It is impossible. Romans would say it this way, for all of what? And fall short of the glory of God. Or, or for the wages of sin is what? Yeah, because, because that we cannot meet the demand, there's now a burden that we cannot bear. There is a burden that we cannot bear called wrath. And what happens is the holiness of God demands punishment for sin. Because God's goal is not that he's sitting up there and mad that we've sinned. God's goal is that we're in his presence and that sin hinders us from his presence. So there's a demand of perfection and a burden that we cannot bear. But then Jesus came. In Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a what, saints? Curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That is the gospel. The gospel is that God wants a relationship of every moment with us right now. Otherwise, God would strike me down. 
and take me on to be with him. Salvation is not a one-time event where you come forward, where you fill out a piece of paper, or you bow your knees in your tears, or you're wrecked wherever you're sitting, and all of a sudden you follow it up with believer's baptism. That is not the gospel. The gospel is meant so that we can be in the presence of God, and there's a demand we cannot meet, and a burden we cannot bear, and if you can just remember two scriptures in Matthew 5, 48, be ye perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. We can't do it. But because of Jesus, Jesus stepped in and he stepped into the burden and met the very wrath of God and redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So he satisfied the wrath of God and he met the demand. And then in 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says for us that is so powerful and so poignant God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God or as theologians would say, the imputed righteousness of God. And every day I pray that you wake up and say, God, I'm not perfect, but Jesus is. And God, I deserve your wrath, but Jesus took it. And he satisfied the wrath on the cross. And I hold to what Piper says. The greatest gift of the gospel is not eternal life. It's not so that you and I can go see the deceased people that we love. That is not the greatest gift. If I run to my father before I run to Jesus in heaven, then Jesus is not my Lord. The greatest gift is not eternal life. The greatest gift is not the forgiveness of sins. The greatest gift is not that we get righteousness. The greatest gift of the gospel is that we get Jesus. Are y'all even with me this morning? Heavens are opened at his baptism. It's a foreshadowing of what we have. We now can have a relationship with God. And you say, well, if we can have a relationship with God, why wouldn't God just kill us then if ultimately it's our relationship with God? Because God is not pleased that there's places on this earth that the devil has stole and he is going to send us, send us, send us to go and take back what the devil's lied about. Because there's not, as Abraham Kuyper once said, there's not one square inch of this world where Jesus does not say mine. And he sends us. And you're going to face lies from the devil. Because your struggle is not against flesh and blood. So you're going to face lies. You're going to face hatred. You're going to face pushback. But it is the gospel. It is the gospel. And every day you get on your knees and you say, Jesus, you are my perfection. So when I do sin, I'm not over here going in convulsions. Oh, God doesn't love me. Oh, get over it, John. Oh, I just, I just dropped a bomb. I just said a bad word. Oh, God. Like he didn't know. Oh, God, I gossiped. Oh. God, I did Listen, because the enemy wants to keep you confined, but it is the perfection of Christ. He met the demand we cannot meet, the burden we cannot bear, and forever and evermore, we have surrendered to Jesus and we have a relationship. It is now we have a relationship. Not the forgiveness of sins, not eternal life, not the righteousness of God. That's not the point of the gospel. The point of the gospel is we get Jesus now. And we're in a relationship with him. And when you're in a relationship with him, then you go back to places where the devil thinks he owns and you smash the gates of hell. Because there's not a demon, there's not a, come on, there's not a demon that can match the creator. Jesus is undefeated. 
He didn't sit there and say, oop, right hook from Satan. Oop, left hook from Satan. This is a bad day. Jesus stood there and took it and said, is that all you got? Because I'm standing up again. There's no more enemy, not even death. And so you put your hand out on that table when you die, and you know that Jesus is taking you, the Holy Spirit's taking you to the arms of Christ. Because Paul said, to live is Christ, to die is. I like when people are filled with the gospel and they take back. So last year on The Voice, you know, I, I got a, the Bible says don't covet. But since I'm covered by the gospel of Jesus, I'm just going to confess my sins to you. I want to sing. I'm terrible. Don't say amen, Nick. If you do, church discipline. Hey, I'm just saying, I'm terrible. I sound like a dying, barking spider, and I don't even know what that means. But I love when people go into areas where Satan thinks he owns, and they take it back, and people don't even know what to do. So I want to show you this video. Some of you probably have seen it. But watch this brother singing about breaking the chains because when the gospel comes into your life, you don't walk in the bondage of the sins that you've committed. You walk in the freedom that Jesus gave. Let's check this out. Y'all, by the way, it's going to be loud. Turn that thing up. Make them feel it. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. To break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. There's an army rising. Every 
somebody you if that don't get you going you ain't got Jesus see that's what happened he came in there he was like boom kicked the devil out right because that place is a place of selfishness Adam's over there going in his GQ looking tatted up self he don't even know what to do Blake's like there was a day when I grew up country we talked about Jesus he could feel it the spirit was tugging on him you could see it See, that's what happens when the gospel wrecks us that we can't contain it because the relationship with Jesus is so prevalent. It don't matter what happens that comes our way because we got a God who's undefeated. And if we got a God who's undefeated, it doesn't matter what people try to stop. That's why I love that guy. He just walked into a place that Satan thought he owned music and he just kicked the door down and took a place of selfishness and turned it into a place of sacrificial worship. And that's what happens when the gospel, and then we like Romans 1.16, says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation. The Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit of God matches the word of God, the gospel of Jesus, there is power, as you just saw. Because somebody was more in love with Jesus than what other people thought about him. And that is my prayer that when you walk out of here, as we are the gathered, called the Ecclesia Church, and we are the scattered, the called out ones, Ecclesia, and we are in the places where God has assigned us, that nothing else would matter but Jesus. And that we would not be ashamed of what pushback we get because of Jesus. We would not hide in the cowardice of maybe even facing the pushback of death in some places. But because of Jesus and the beauty and the satisfaction of Christ, people's chains are broken because we've been set free. Because what the Spirit sets free is, so you, you can hide and be like LeBron, or you can stand up and be like Jesus. You can hide and be like money and be cool and be like everybody else in your school or your job. Or, or you could stand up and be like Jesus. But there's power when people aren't ashamed. Let's pray. Father, I pray that I don't come with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the spirit of power so that everyone in this room's faith would not rest on what I say, but on the Holy Spirit. So there is an army rising up, and we rise up because we've been on our knees. And we come before you today. You are a holy and righteous God, and we're wrecked by that because you're good. You're better than any car. You're better than $10 million in a bank account. You're better than living off the coast of Florida in a boat or living in a house in the mountains and sitting back in a rocking chair watching the leaves turn as we get closer to death. There's, you are better than anything else. And your name is Jesus. We come before you today, Father, by that name, Jesus. Your son who paid the debt satisfied your wrath 
because of your holiness, because you're good. You're a righteous judge. And we come to you in the name of Jesus, who has our perfection so we can get righteousness. And we don't have a high priest who can't understand or sympathize with our weakness, as my brother prayed over me earlier. We we don't have a high priest whose sacrifice has to keep going on, as Hebrews tells us. He's better than any sacrifice. He's better than any high priest. And oh, by the way, he can save to the uttermost because he is the permanent image of the invisible God. And in the name of Jesus, we come to you today. So would you help us to be content where we are because of the relationship and who we're in. And that is my prayer today. In the name of Jesus, that we will rise up like an army and we will rise up of people that have been set free because we have a God who's victorious and his word is unchained. And in Jesus' name, the saints said what? That's what I thought. Number 16. Woo! I might be preaching to myself after a while. I might get so crazy. People run out of here. That man is crazy. Number 16. I pray that we'll be on fire. Three weeks we'll be in this room, Lord willing. There'll be a ton of athletes in here. Some of them don't even have a clue about the relationship with Jesus, do they, Brittany? They ain't got a clue, right? Princeton, they don't have a clue, right? They don't have a clue, Lydia, do they? They just don't have a clue. Not a clue. And I pray that they would see something totally different in you. They would feel the Holy Spirit. Number 16. Moses had a cousin in the Levite tribe named Korah. Korah said, I don't want to listen to you, Moses. You and Aaron, your brother, my cousin, I don't care about you. I don't want to listen to you anymore. We're holy. Why can't we have the priesthood? I mean, yeah, we, we fix the stuff in the tabernacle and we, we take the tabernacle down and we take the sacrificial stuff around and we do all that stuff, but, but you're the ones inside the tent and you're the ones doing the sacrifice. And, well, we're all priests. And, and number, Exodus 19, verse 6, you know, Moses, God told us that we're a royal priesthood, but, I mean, I know we were jacked up in Exodus 20 and we rejected that, but, but you know, we're, we're, we're going to rise up. You know what I, I remember? It's in Luke 4, I gave a sermon years and years ago, and it's it just kind of stuck with me when Jesus was walking in the synagogue after he came back after his baptism after he went in after being tempted he was on fire his time had come to show himself as the Messiah so for the next three plus years he's going to show himself as Messiah and his own people in his own town tried to take him and push him off a cliff but it wasn't his time to die and he walks right, walks right through him and the Lord said to me John those who know you the best hurt you the most some of y'all know what I'm talking about because you had a parent that was jacked up and messed you up. Some of you had somebody walk out on you. You know what I'm talking about? Those who know you the best sometimes can hurt you the most, right? Jesus knew it. We got a high priest that knows it and sympathizes with you. Don't sell out to another relationship to man. Sell out to the relationship with Christ. Verse 1, Kor, son of Itzar, Son of Kohath. Now you might say, why are all these names in here? Because names have meaning. God wouldn't just, God, he would just say, well, some of the people of the tribe of Levi. Now he's calling people out, the people that started this rebellion. The son of Levi and certain Reubenites. He was the Reuben, the first guy born in, to Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. Because you know what happens? God changes you when you encounter him. Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab. And on, son of Peleth, 
became insolent. Insolent's not in Scripture, and I'll explain that, but it's a good word. And rose up against Moses. With them were 250 Israelite men, well-known community leaders who had been appointed members of the council. They came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron and said to them, You have gone too far. There's an army rising up. And when we rise up, there's going to be pushback. You've gone too far, Moses and Aaron, he said. The whole community is holy. Every one of them. And the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourselves above the Lord's assembly? You know what it is when you walk with Jesus. The world thinks that we're saying that we're better than them. And what we're saying is, no, we just surrender to Jesus. The reason why I don't do what other people do is because I value Jesus more than I value popcorn at that movie. The reason I don't do what I do and I save my money to give to the Lord instead of having this to go do that is because I value my relationship with Jesus. I don't give to earn God's love. I already got it at the cross. I don't, there's nothing more I can do. The cross did it. It is finished. I live my life as a response to the cross, not to earn the respect of it. So here, Korah says, I'm not satisfied with my appointment. Warren Wiersbe talks about appointment. I'm not satisfied with my appointment, my place in life. Are you satisfied with your appointment? With your place in life? No, no, John, I, I, I know. I need more money. I, I got to get more degrees. I, I got to learn. I got to grow. Now, you know, you, you, it's confusing now. What I mean is, as I'm not saying you satisfy where, with the, with, in, the, in the process so you don't grow anymore. I'm just saying you're satisfied where you are because you're, you love the one you're with. Old song. When Moses heard this, verse 4, he fell face, face down. Then he said to Korah and all his followers, 250 of them. In the morning. Mm. It's always in the morning, isn't it, with Jesus? The sorrow may come in the night. There's joy in the morning. Mm. There's always a night with Jesus because there's always a resurrection. When Moses heard this, he fell face down. Then he said to Korah and all his followers, In the morning the Lord will show who belongs to him and who is holy, and he will have that person come near him. The man, he, meaning God, chooses he will cause to come near him. You, Korah, and all your followers are to do this. Take censers and tomorrow put burning coals and incense in them before the Lord. The man the Lord chooses will be the one who is holy. You Levites, Remember, Moses is from the tribe of Levi's cousins, people. People. Gone too far. Exclamation point. Moses also said to Korah, he wasn't done. Now listen, you Levites. Isn't it enough 
for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the Israelite community. May I ask you today, is it enough that God has chosen you or is there something else that satisfies? Come on. Separated you from the rest of the Israelite community and brought you near himself to do the work at the Lord's tabernacle and to stand before the community to minister to them. Isn't it enough? Well, let's fast forward and see what happens. Verse 28. Well, let's go to verse 25, sorry. Moses got up and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. He warned the assembly, move back from your tents of these wicked men. Do not touch anything belonging to them, or you will be swept away because of all their sins. So they moved away from the tents of Korah. That's his cousin, Dathan and Abiram. Cousin, Dathan and Abiram had come out and were standing with their wives. Excuse me, they were Reubenites. Uh, their wives, children, and the little ones at the entrances to their tents. Then Moses said, this is how you will know that the Lord has sent me to do all these things and that it was not my idea. If these men die a natural death and suffer the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. That's what Moses said. But if the Lord brings about something totally new, remember God always does a new thing in heaven and in hell. Let that one sit. But if the Lord brings about something totally new and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them with everything that belongs to them and they go down alive to the realm of the dead, then you will know that these men have treated the Lord with contempt, because remember, they were not set. Is it not enough that God has separated you? Man, when I read that, it pierced my heart. Because I say to God many times, I don't like my position. As soon as he finished saying all this, the ground under them split apart, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them and their households, and all those associated with Korah together. Uh, with their possessions, they went down alive into the realm of the dead with everything they owned. The earth closed over them and they perished and were gone from the community. At their cries, all the Israelites around them fled, shouting, the earth is going to swallow us too. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense. And John, why? Why do you pick this passage in Numbers when they were in the wilderness? Why? Why did the Lord lay this on your heart? Because I'll tell you why. Do, here's the question, here's the question. Do I value God's presence or man's position? I'll say it again. The question is, do I value God's presence or man's position. The point of the gospel is I get God's presence. The Holy Spirit lives within me, lives within you if you're saved. If you're not saved, you can't fake it till you make it. And I'm going to tell you something. It's a very dangerous thing for people to try to walk into the calling of God without God. Go back and read what happened to people when they tried to cast out demons and they weren't with Jesus. Demons jumped, 
Demons beat them up. You can't, it's, you can't go into the calling of the Lord without the Lord. What happened when these Israelites tried to go into the promised land after they rejected their, when God said go in and they said no, and then they tried to go in and got beat down. And the question is, do I value God's presence or man's position? Korah wanted position. He wasn't satisfied. He wasn't content with the position because he wasn't content with the presence of God in the position. So here's the main idea. It's all on Facebook. And I hope that the Spirit of God moves you to wrestle with it. Trusting in the gospel of Jesus every day. Preach the gospel before you go to school every day. Preach it to yourself. I'm not perfect, but Jesus is, and I have his perfection. You start saying, claiming 2 Corinthians 5.21. You start saying the demand in five, Matthew 5.48, and you start saying, but yet, yet because I could not meet it, and because God is holy and he's a righteous judge, because a good judge is not going to let a rapist walk free. He's a good judge and an honest judge. But God is so kind and said instead of having to make the decision, he sent his son. And so the wrath was satisfied and the heavens were opened and we can have this relationship. Because Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And you quote Galatians 3.13 to yourself every day and at the point of when it's bad. And the point of when it's good. That we have the presence of God with us regardless of the circumstances of man. The Lord showed me. Since I'm saved, John, Satan, now if you, listen, I want you to get this. The Holy Spirit showed me. Satan cannot undo my position, but he can attack my presence. I'm going to go up here and sing, Kumbaya, my Lord, I don't even know. Satan can't undo my position of being saved, but he sure can attack my present. And this is how he's going to attack your present. You ready? Do you really believe if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll, you'll die? You'll be like God. He always attacks our faith so we don't do anything in the present. Satan and all he does, that's why Peter, excuse me, that's why Paul said, fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good, I have fought the good fight of faith. He said, that's why it's always about faith. Faith is not, oh, I believe there's a Jesus. Yeah, right. And I believe that there was a Titanic. I ain't getting on it. I don't care what people believe. Tell me who you trust. I see a lot of people say, oh, I I believe that relationship could work out. Well, why don't you jump in it? Because you're not willing to get your heart broke or at least take that risk. See, it's about trust. So trusting the gospel of Jesus means, it means valuing God's presence over man's position. Now, what does that mean for us? Uh, I mean, I was talking with Peter Link this week. He said something. He's a professor here and and some of y'all know him. And and it's just, you know, we were talking about this and it made such sense to me, you know, as, as somebody who's saved, as somebody who's born again, then I'm always asked my question, who is God? Who is God? Is he supreme? That means he's the Mac Daddy. He's over everything. And is he all satisfying? Constantly my relationship with God. Adam, Adam had to ask that. Eve had to ask that when Satan said, if you eat from that tree, are you really going to die? You're going to be like God. Who is God? Is he the real deal. Is he sovereign? 
Can he be trusted? we got to ask these questions as believers every day because Satan is not going to go, oh, they're saved, they're untouchable. Do you think Satan really cares about people who he has? Y'all ain't hearing me. If Satan already has somebody and they're blinded, the little God of this age, if they're already blinded, then why does he care about him? Because you know the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He could give a rip about anybody because he don't love anybody but him. So he don't give a rip about them. He cares about you, and he cares about me, and he cares about taking us out. Why? Because we have the presence of God, the Holy Spirit in us, and he knows that when that presence is released, chains are broken, somebody's going to get saved. Look, if you can't hurt me, the best way you can hurt me is hurt my kids. He can't touch God, but he's going to try and hurt God's people, children. So who is God? Who is Jesus? Is Jesus really, Colossians 1, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation? Remember I taught you in Genesis 1 where it says, you know, in the beginning God created. That word for beginning in Hebrew is really firstborn. In the firstborn, it's really a translation should be firstborn. In the firstborn God created. It means in Jesus everything can be created. Even a new relationship with your spouse. Even a new direction in your job. Even when finances are awful. Even when you think I'm in school and I'm not cool and I'm not this. Why not just be cool? with Jesus. See, my whole life I sat in a church and it was all about salvation, salvation. Who's coming forward? Sign a card, get baptized. Y'all with me? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Anybody in this room know what I'm talking about? That's where I, you know, it's about salvation. It's not about salvation. It's about Jesus and us being in his presence. Yes, we got to be saved to get in there, but it's not the pinnacle. Men got a relationship with Jesus. And if I have, if I'd have if I would have listened to the Spirit of God tugging on my heart all those years, I would have gone into high school and I'd have been in middle school and then even in college and relationships with people would have never trumped my relationship with Jesus. Because you see, I couldn't be what people wanted me to be, so I had to get a little liquid courage. Or on campuses, we'd say get lit. You know, here's my question. Why do I have to get lit when Jesus already is? That's, that's good. You can tweet it. And then hashtag Jesus is the light of the world. Mm-hmm. One up on, on Satan. Uh-huh. Jesus is already lit. He's the light of the world. Why do I got to get lit? Because if I have him, I am lit. People are like, I just don't like what you lighten up. Well, you weren't invited to the party anyway. <laughs> My hip's feeling better. Shut your mouth. Shut your mouth. Lydia over there, she's, my re- she's doing my rehab. She's probably going, oh, gosh, she's going to die. All right, so. And then the, the last thing is, if, if that's the case, who is God, who is Jesus, then wh- who am I as a child of God? So, so what are some warning signs? You ready? Are y'all with me, saints? Are y'all ready? Man, if I just had some time, see, I'm hungry. So I ain't going all into it because I'm, uh, stomach sometimes gets in the way of the spirit, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Gluttony. All right, so, but there's some warnings. Here's some warning signs, ready? Here's some warning signs that my, my trust is wavering. That, that, and whenever my trust wavers, then I struggle with the position God has me in. 
Mm-hmm. Can't be where my feet are because I'm always looking so far ahead. Well, if I just had that job, if I had just had that degree, or if I just, I, you know, if I lived in that place, or this place is so jacked up. Maybe it's jacked up because Jesus isn't Lord. Because remember, there is calm in the storm. Jesus was asleep in the storm. So just because it's, the place is jacked up around me and there's a storm around me doesn't mean that God still can't give me peace in it. Right? So the way I fight my situation is I take out the sword of the Spirit and I take out, and I take out my shield. The Roman shield, you know how they would dip it in water and all that stuff around the frame so when they had flaming arrows, the water would, 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 would take the flaming arrows of the evil one. Remember in Ephesians 6, right? Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Well, Jesus is the living water, so my, my faith never runs out of water, so it's constantly putting out stuff. And by the way, if I would just spend more time in God's Word, maybe I wouldn't just sit here and defend all the time. Maybe I'd start striking somebody. And it's a sharper, it's a double-edged sword. It ain't just got one side that'll cut. My, my sword will cut at all three points. It'll pierce, mm-hmm. and it'll cut at the bottom and the top. It'll cut three ways. Sometimes I just, I just start, need to start speaking the word of God into the air, and it will cut. And then guess what? Since my champion's undefeated, I just keep walking. But I don't use enough scripture. That's why people's words matter more than God's. So here's some warnings or waverings. First warning sign of wavering. Ready? Here it is. Is that I start fleeing from God's leadership. Look at verses 1 and 3. Kor, son of Itzar, let me go on down, these dudes, right, became insolent. They flee. You want to know why? It says, and rose up against Moses with them with 250 Israelite men. Well known. Now look who these people are. These are not, not just outliers. These are like the coolest of the cool, the, the hip of the hip, you know, the most jacked of the jacked. Well-known community leaders who have been appointed members of the council. These are people that were appointed places of leadership by God. They came as a group. They were unified. To oppose Moses and Aaron and said to them, you've gone too far. The whole community is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourselves above the Lord's assembly? God's presence is not as satisfying as man's position. They wanted position over presence. So the first sign of wavering is I flee from God's leadership. I don't like God's leading. I don't like where he's placed me. I can't be in school where my feet are because I'm thinking always about being so far down the road. And what happens is when you think so far down the road, by the way, the Bible says you're not promised tomorrow anyway. So don't act like you got it. Well, if I get my degree, I'll just get this. Who said you'll be alive? The Bible never promised that. Though people superimpose that on Jesus. He died so young. Yep. What's the Bible say? You're a mist of vapor. Nobody's guaranteed tomorrow. So look at that, verse 3. It says, uh, they came as a group to oppose. The word oppose there means, it means the word over and above. It means they're over the position that God's got them. They're above the position God's got them. I'm over it, God. I'm done being where you got me. I'm done being in this position. I'm done being at this job. I'm done being at this relation. I'm done with my circumstances. I'm better. I'm better than that. See, when I start speaking that language, that's danger. I'm better than being in this position. I know more than the coach above me. 
Come on, am I talking to anybody but myself today? Myself. This old rap group just sing a song, me, myself, and I. Never mind. The word, look in verse 1. It says, Kor, son of Itzar, son of, son of Koath, uh, Koath uh, son of Levi, and certain Reubenites, Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab, and the son of, how about, and on, the son of Peleth. The word Peleth, you know what that means? You know what this word means? It means flee. It means flee. That's why it says in the Bible, became insolent, because these people went with the man who was fleeing from the presence of God. That is a warning sign. These are well-known people. These are people in leadership that were done with the position that God had them in. They were just bored with it. They were tired with it. They felt they were better than it. Here's what I want you to know. And they were well-known. Listen, I want to say this, that well-known doesn't mean all-knowing. Or let me put it this way. Just because someone is recognized doesn't mean they're remarkable in God's eyes. It doesn't matter how many people agree with me. Just because many agree God is wrong doesn't make him wrong. Opposition doesn't mean a defeated condition, nor does it mean submission. So here's one sign of wavering. You ready? One sign of wavering is I start fleeing from God's presence, uh, from God's leadership. I don't like where God is taking me. Anybody ever been there? Don't have to raise your hand. I'll do it. I don't like God. Listen, I'm tired of being the one always giving. I'm tired of it. If I'm not careful, I'll be like Korah. Second warning. Second warning of the sign of wavering trust or faith. You can call it what you want. They should be synonymous terms. The sign of warning or wavering faith in the gospel of Jesus is that the standard of holiness changes. Look there in verse 3. They came as a group to oppose. I remember I gave you that definition in Hebrew. Moses and Aaron and said to them, you've gone too far. The whole community is holy. Every one of them, the Lord, look at this. The whole community is holy. Every one of them. His other words, the standard of holiness changes. When I'm wavering, I'm saying, God, I really don't need to trust the sacrificial lamb of Jesus because I got it from here. In fact, God, let me just go ahead and say, listen, these are good people. Why are you supposing their standard of holiness on them? They're good people. I mean, I understand they might be doing a little wrong, but God, your love is greater than a little wrong, so they're going to be okay. The only way they're going to be okay is if they surrender to Jesus. Nobody is okay without Christ. Nobody. That sounds so anti-cultural. But what I've noticed is that that I would rather be anti-cultural than anti-truth. Nobody, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, we're all in the same boat. Nobody's better than anybody else, though Satan tries to blind non-believers and say, look, they're saying they're better than you. No, what Paul said is I'm the worst of everybody. (laughs) When you really follow Jesus, you're like, oh, no, people that that don't even know Christ, they're way better than me. Trust me, I, I feel that way every day. I know some great people. I just don't want to give them an air-conditioned ride to hell. Danger occurs when position is more important than God's presence, like my, when I don't like my role. And so what happens is I start telling God, you've gone too far there in verse 3. 
So that's the second sign. So the first sign is I don't like God's leadership. The second sign is holiness changes, the standard of holiness. You with me? He's okay. He's He's really going to be okay or whatever. God, I'm okay. I mean, we just change the standard of holiness. Instead of Jesus being the standard of holiness, it becomes my, 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 whatever I define it. And here's the last one. I just want to give you, and there's a lot more in this passage. The third sign of wavering is, 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 is that God is just not enough. Let's, 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 let's break it down, verse 4. When Moses heard this, he fell face down. Then he said to Korah and his followers, you know, his cousin, and some of his other cousins, and then some of the tribe of Reuben, in the morning the Lord will show who belongs to him and who is holy. In other words, what's the standard? And he will have that person come near him. The man he chooses, he will cause to come near him. And all I could write in my margin of my Bible was, thank you, Lord Jesus, that you caused it so I could come near to you. Because I'd rather, I'd rather be with you than have all this money in, in, the, in the sense of a tremendous fine. You say, but John, you, you talk about finances. I'm just saying, look, I'm around some people that have some nice seven-figure bank accounts. And, and rarely, I know one guy right now who's, who, who's close to an eight-figure bank account. Do you know what I mean by eight-figure? That's $100 million, right? That's $100 million. He's close to it. And he is, um, and he needs Jesus. It's not going to buy you. Yeah, you can medicate your pain. You can fly to Las Vegas and you can be a high roller and they treat you like a rock star and live out of your former professional life and pedigree that everybody gives you. But at the end of the day, you're still going to be hurt. It doesn't, that doesn't heal marriages. It doesn't heal children. It doesn't make things right. It doesn't make you happy with yourself. Verse 6, you, Korah, and all your followers are to do this. Take censers, and tomorrow put burning coals and incense in them before the Lord. The man the Lord chooses will be the one who is holy. You Levites have gone, gone too far. Moses also said to Korah, now listen, you Levites, and here's where I got it from. Here's the warning sign that my lack of trust, my lack of trust. Yeah, I believe the chair can hold me, but until I sit in the chair, I don't trust it. Y'all know the drill. So here's the deal. I was cut when I read this this week. Cut, Nick. Destroyed when I read. I even highlighted it in my Bible so I would make sure and remember that, you know, that, man, this is you, John. Isn't it enough for you that God, that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the Israelite community and brought you near himself to do the work. See, what happens, if I focus on my work, I'm not focusing on him. But if I focus on him, the way he's bringing me to himself is to do his work. And so when I say his work isn't enough, God, I'm not satisfied. Like, you know, let me just say this. Pastors uh, have... Terrible reputations when it comes to law. So I got to go to my mother's birthday party this week. I drove up North Carolina in the evening with my family. We turned around and drove back, got back at 1.30 in the morning, Friday morning. And, and I remember just, uh, you know, I, I, my family, they love me. They trust Jesus in me. They, they see the anointing of God in me. But they work with such weirdo pastors. It makes me sick. And because my family are Christians, they always want things pro bono. 
well, you know, I'm a Christian. Can I get a deal? Let me tell you what they did when I graduated seminary. On Friday, I graduated on Saturday. On Friday, Paige Patterson, he's the president of Southwestern in Dallas, the largest seminary in the world. He stood up and ripped every one of us. There was a couple hundred of us, and we were in a room like this, and he ripped every one of us. He said, don't you ever use the cloth to get a discount, ever. You know some preachers like that. Well, can you cut my grass for, you know, get out and cut your own grass. Like if you got to ask for a deal, you ain't got the money. He said, you pay full price for everything. Now, I'm not opposing if somebody wants to bless me and something like that. I'm like, all right, you know, it does make me feel guilty because I feel unworthy. And then they're always like, don't rob me of my blessing like they Jesus juke me, you know. And I don't know what to do. And, 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 but, right, right? Are y'all tracking me? And so, they, you know what, you know what the, all the lawyers, I mean, excuse all the pastors coming to my family's law firm, here they are, sexual offenders or sleeping with adulterers or they stole money from the church. God does take the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. I'm like, Lord, so I just, I'm constantly like, I don't want to be a pastor. Like, I don't want to look like one. I don't want my hair in a big comb over. I'd rather just go bald, God. I don't, I don't want to have perfect hair. I don't want to look like them people on TV sometimes. I mean, there's some really cool-looking guys on TV like Stephen Furtick. He's jacked. But then there's other people on there that I'm like, they got an equator to put the belt on. Never mind. Oh, never mind. No, that, was, that was a fat joke. I love this. Um, um, so I look at that and I say, Lord, I'm, I'm, I, you're not enough. And God reminded me, isn't it enough, John, that I've taken you from where you were and I've separated you to do my work? But when God's presence is not a value to me, then what, I, this is where I sin. Where I sin is, as I say, God, no, I, don't like, I don't like what I'm in or I don't like what I'm doing. And, and just saying you're not enough. The word enough there in Hebrew means a small thing. It means, that's the interlinear, that's the, that's the Hebrew to, to English. It means a small thing. Or it means, uh, in Hebrew, it means little or few. God, I just don't like this little assignment. I struggle with this little assignment. Numbers 18.7. I was reading this in my quiet time. Numbers 18, uh, verse 7 says this. But only you and your sons may serve as priests. He's talking to Aaron and his sons, Moses' brother. He says, but only you and your sons may serve as priests in connection with everything at the altar and inside the curtain. And then look what he says. This, is, this was spoke to my heart. And I pray that maybe the Lord will use this to speak to your heart. I'm giving you the service of the priesthood as a gift. Wherever we are in life, do you know that is God's gift? Because where we are is really not about us in the end. It's about us releasing the presence of Jesus by the freedom that he's given us and all the chains that have been broken in our life so that others can walk in freedom and that Satan will be destroyed. And I, I had to go, God, forgive me. And I ask him today to forgive me that I have not seen where I am as a gift. I want you to know that. And I apologize to you and I apologize to the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean my relationship with him has changed because my salvation is secure. I preach the gospel to myself. But I have to recognize my heart is prone to wonder, like the old hymn would say, prone to leave it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. I don't see it as a gift. Nick, would you play over me?
So then when I don't see where I'm at, when I think of it, it's not enough back in number 16, verse 9, isn't it enough? It means little or few. When I say, God, it's just little. It's too little where you've got me. It's such a little assignment. Can I have more? Can I have more? Can I have more? I, the Holy Spirit reminded me of the parable uh, of, of the gold that was given. Or, you know, even the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, 21. His master replied, this is scripture, his master replied to the one who had taken the talents and, and, and the, the gifts of gold and it, he had five and he invested it and made five more and the one that had two invested the two things of gold or, or talents and, 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 and got two more but one buried what he had and then the parable the, the owner of the money comes back and says to the one the buried he said man you could have at least put it in the bank and could have made interest all my money but instead you stole money from me so he takes that one talent from the one who had one and gave it to the one who had a lot because he was faithful. And I kept struggling. Why didn't you give it to the dude with four, God? Why didn't you give it to the dude with four? Why did you give it to the guy with ten? Lord, why did you give it to the guy with ten? Because the guy with ten already has a lot. But that's when the Holy Spirit taught me that the purpose of the parable was not to reward the one that has a lot. It's to reward the ones that have faith. Because look what it says. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with what, saints? I didn't hear you. With what? Yeah. You've been faithful with a few things. Enough. Isn't it enough? Number 16, 9. Isn't it enough, John? what I've given you. Isn't it enough the position I've given you? Because the position you're in really means you get more of my presence. But I don't like the position I'm in because I want more for me. Which goes to our main point. Do I want man's position or do I want God's presence? What do I want? You've been faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. If we will be faithful where we are, be where our feet are, because that's where the presence of God is, where it's got us. If we will love the presence of God more than the position we were in, we will get the position that we've always wanted because that's where God's taking us. But he won't take us unless we show we're faithful. Let me break it down for you. I apologize, I said on the sermon notes. This is how I'm going to land a plane. This is where we're going to call. If you're not saved, you're saved before you pray if you surrender your life to the Lord. I want everybody in this room to understand that. It is not a prayer that saves you. Out of the mouth, the heart speaks, Jesus said. So when you speak the prayer, it's because God's already changed you here. So there is a time for salvation, but this time is for believers that are so wrecked by the goodness of the gospel that today you will ask yourself and you encounter God in an intimate way and say, hey God, am I content where you have me? Come on, somebody. Come on. There's some, listen, if you're like me, enough is never enough. I want more and I want more and I want more. And God says, if you just want more of me, 
if you seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, what does he say? He'll give what? Yeah, he'll give us everything we need. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. What are those things in context? Clothes, money, food, all those things. Are you saying, John, if I seek God, I'll, I'll pay the bill? Yep. Because the Bible's clear. If a man doesn't work, he, doesn't, he shouldn't eat. God's going to put us in positions to work for his glory, to redeem. And they're not sometimes going to be easy places. So what happens when it's not easy, I complain to God because I'm in a position of easiness more than the presence of God. Philippians chapter 4. Now land with this. Some of you know this passage. Ephesians 4, we'll start at verse 10. Thank you so much, brother. You are so, I mean, you are a submariner. You're brilliant. You teach at the Noob School. Those guys up there are sharp, man, I'm telling you. Verse 10. I greatly rejoice in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Look what. Look what Paul says. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Verse 11. And he says, basically, Paul's in prison. He's saying, but it's okay. You don't have an opportunity to show it. It's okay. I know you're concerned for me. Listen, I'm okay where I'm at. Paul's like, I'm okay where I'm at. Why? Because I got God where I'm at. See, Paul had already been, uh, he'd already known about Peter and John singing in prison and the chains were broken, right? I mean, people getting, I mean, he already knows. He already knows about this stuff. Verse 11, I'm not saying this because I am in need. I hope that wrecks us a little bit. For I have learned to be content. Uh, did I say Ephesians? I'm sorry, Philippians, my bad. Philippians 4. Did I say Ephesians? I got problems, don't I? Sorry, Philippians 4. Y'all are probably reading that going, where is John? He don't even know where he's going Sorry, I get ahead of myself. Philippians 4, verse 11. I am not saying this. Oh, we're still there. I am not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Do I want man's position? Or God's presence. I will get man's position as long as I seek God's presence. I am not saying this because I am in need, yet he's in prison. For I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is, verse 12. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content. In any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then the one that every athlete quotes so that they feel like they can win the game. The secret to plenty or the secret to being in want is that Paul in verse 13 can do all things in Christ who what saints so the gospel is constantly working on us 
do you need God to strengthen you? You're believing in this room. Maybe God will give you a prophetic word. Some of you saints in this room, sometimes you have a word for somebody. And if you're walking right with the Lord and spending time with the Lord, and maybe you should deliver that word. Do you need strength today? Oh, I know, man. I don't want to show nobody, John. I don't want to show. You know, Paul said he boasted about his weaknesses, right? I think as a Christian, it's better to be weak and needy than fake and prideful. Father, that is my prayer today. Who in here just needs some strength? If they want to come and kneel before you, you are here to strengthen us. You are here to remind us that you are God. You're here to remind us of who Jesus is. You're here to remind us, Lord. You're here to remind us that as a child of God, that you will supply all, all our needs according to your riches and glory. Lord, I ask today in the name of Jesus, who in this room is a believer, just needs to come and spend some time with you and say, Lord, strengthen me. Lord, they can come right now while I'm praying. It's not unholy. It's not disrespectful to you. Just, just come right now and just pour out their hearts to you and say, Lord, I need strength in this job. I need strength in this relationship. I need strength in this calling. I need strength where I think you're leading me. I need strength where I'm at. I need strength, Lord. I need strength. i, I got to learn to be content because if I'm content with the circumstances, that means I value your presence more than a position. Lord, Strengthen me with your presence. Strengthen me with your anointing. Strengthen me with the power of God. I would rather be a prophet and be broke, Lord, than be a man who is rich, who has no concept of Jesus. Lord, I'm begging you today, strengthen us in this room. Strengthen us. Give a word, a word to some of the people even here, even the ones that are gassed, that they would hear from the Lord today, that we would counter because the gospel, the heavens are open. It's not a place of just salvation. It's a place of being in your presence, God. Speak to us. Speak, Lord, as Samuel said, your servants are listening. And we don't come with wise and persuasive words. Demonstrate your power, Lord, right now. So that if there's anybody in this room who does not believe that there's a God, we'll see that something happened. Speak, Lord. Speak to us. Unsettle us in our seats. Unsettle our hearts. That now our hearts would override our flesh and we would have to come and fall on our face before the living God. Speak, Lord. Our servants are listening. We need contentment. We need contentment in your presence instead of looking for contentment around us. We need the presence of God. Fall on us, Lord. Speak to us, Lord. Anoint us, Lord. We will give you the glory. And for the ones who don't know you, Lord, wreck their hearts that there's no way for them to ever come to you but Jesus. And they would surrender to his lordship by putting their trust that he died and rose again on the third day. And a beautiful life of living in the gospel is repentance of daily looking to Christ and saying, your will be done, not mine. Come on, Lord. You're good. You'll do it. I pray you change this church, Lord. Change us. In Jesus' name.